Hello, you're listening to Sarah Archer in episode 112 of the Speaking Club podcast. I found this on upjoke.com and it really tickled me, so I thought I'd share. Be careful. I just received a scam phone call saying I'd won tickets to see a tribute act for Elvis Presley or $20,000 cash. It said, press one for the money or two for the show. I started this podcast for two reasons. Because I want to help people recognise the power of stories and humour in speaking and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organisations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. But I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So, if you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Even in normal circumstances, poor cash flow kills more businesses than anything else. But when there's turbulence in the economy, its reach is much wider. It might not be sexy, but whether you've got a speaking business or a business that you grow through speaking, you're going to want to listen to this show now more than ever. I've brought on cash flow expert Nikki Kinton. She's been doing credit control and credit management for years, and she has now her own business called Confident Cashflow. And she's going to be sharing a range of advice from getting late payments in to what to cover in your terms and conditions to maximize your chance of getting the business paid. Now, before I switch to the interview, though, I just wanted to let you know that Couch Comedy Live is now live. We had our first gig a few nights ago and the audience and the comedians loved it. We're just lining up some more acts for shows next week and you can check those out at couchcomedylive.com. It's the closest thing to live comedy you'll get in your living room. Tickets are just £3 per household. So if you want some social interaction or you want to support performers during these difficult times, please check it out and get your ticket or on the notification list for when the next event is live over at couchcomedylive.com. Okay, let's head over to the interview. Welcome to the Speaking Club, Nikki Kinton. Ah, hi. Nice to, nice to be here. Slashing, it's great to have you on the show. Now, the first thing I want to ask you, why are you so passionate about credit control? Um, I fell into this job, so um, looking to go into doing accounts, and I, um, having worked with my dad, who was a chartered accountant, um, and I joined a firm thinking I was going to do accounts because I was in the accounts department, and I ended up doing credit control, and I absolutely loved it. This was in the days of paper ledgers, right? And we would end up, you know, you, you have to ring through um, for each line on the ledger. And when you got the money in, you drew a line through it. Gosh, that was satisfying. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I'm, I'm a fairly gregarious individual, so I enjoyed chatting to people and talking to people and building those relationships. And over time, I progressed through the various ranks of credit control to credit manager. And I was becoming a bit more distant from the actual doing and managing a team of people who were doing the doing. Um, but I would always get stuff referred in to me. And I found that really I wanted to help these other people who were being referred to me because they were poor payers. But mm. actually there were reasons why they were poor payers. And some of them it was poor admin. Some of it it was that they were having their own problems. And I wanted to help, but my job wasn't to help them. It was to help my my employer get the money in. 
So then I sort of changed things about a bit and decided uh, I'd leave a perfectly decent job and go out there and help those small businesses to do those things that we were doing in the big corporate world. And like, everybody deserves to have, you know, a peace of mind when it comes to payment. And sometimes it's just a few simple processes. Yeah. And so, and so that was the birth of confident cash flow. Yes, it was. Excellent. <laughs> Cool. And I'm I'm really intrigued. I mean, you've possibly mentioned a couple of them there, but what are the biggest mistakes that you see entrepreneurs and small business owners making with cash flow? Um, I think the first first thing that they they do is they don't keep any records in terms of knowing where the money is. So I, I was talking to somebody today who basically said, well, I know how well my business is doing because I've got money in the bank account. And that really doesn't tell him anything about what's working and what's not working. It doesn't tell him anything about where his money is. Um, you know, so is it sat in his clients' accounts or is it tied up in stock or where is his money? So um, the first thing is not keeping on top of it in terms of record keeping and that sort of thing. And then I think the second thing is selling to anyone. Mm-hmm. And that's the big thing. Everybody's, it's, particularly when we first start out, we are absolutely desperate to make that first sale. And it can be very tempting to sell to anyone who wants to buy from you. But not everyone can afford you and not everyone actually is acting um, scrupulously and mm-hmm. has the intention of paying you. So mm-hmm. you have to try and judge those things as well or put in safeguards um, to, to minimise your exposure to those sorts of things. Okay. And, and so just going back to the first point about records i mean are there you know what sort of records should should we be keeping i mean yeah i think the the, the first biggest one is your your profit and loss account so a lot of sole traders particularly they end up with this big bag of receipts which they end up giving to their accountant to do their personal tax return at the end of the year yeah um and so actually from a day on the day-to-day running of their business, they don't really know how much money they've paid out and how much they've got all it coming in because it's all in a carrier bag. So using something very simple like a piece of um, you know, software, you can do it in Excel as well, but there's software these days like Xero and QuickBooks and those things. They're all really, very reasonably priced. Using those and keeping those records up to date, so inputting all your receipts, inputting your sales, your, your invoicing from there, that sort of thing, will give you a snapshot picture at any given point in time of what your profit and loss is at that point in time. Right. And using that information, um, you can you know, look to see where you need to make changes. And then the second really important thing is keeping a bit of cash flow forecast. So cash flow forecast is the um, accounting for money going in and out your bank account when it's going to go in so it's not um you know sales predictions or anything like that it's it's what's actually going to happen so when you've got your um bills coming in you mark them down in your cash flow forecast as to when they need to go out and the same with invoices when you invoice somebody you mark in your cash flow forecast when you are going to get paid for those point to remember is that's not always the due date yes yes. you have to think look at past your client's past behavior so if your client always pays you a week late you put it in your cash flow forecast a week late it's when you anticipate that money being in your bank and that helps you then to plan when you can spend money further down the line or you need to do something that creates another invoice so that you'll have the money um, when that bill has to come out and those records are really important for making sure that 
you aren't digging yourself a big hole, basically. Yeah, so so potentially people could get a big order in. Um, and so, so for, for instance, I've had this with a big company. You get a big order in and you can't spend that money really until it's in the bank because technically, I mean, they could not pay you and yes. then you'll be in trouble basically. Yeah, and it's the most exciting thing in the world to get that order in and anticipate that you're going to be X amount of pounds better off by the end of the month or whatever. And you've got, we all have a huge long shopping list of things we want for our business or for our own personal development or even uh, for our uh, for our homes and for you know yeah. that next holiday or the new car or whatever it is we want. Um, but you 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 can't spend it before it's physically there. Um, I had one one client who's no longer a client for obvious reasons, is that um, she phoned me up on a Friday um, to demand why I hadn't collected an invoice in for her because she was at the car dealership just putting a down payment on a new car that she couldn't afford. Um, And because the money hadn't come in on the due date, yet the client she was referring to always paid her between 14 and 30 days late. Gosh. So... And when you start doing credit, if when you've allowed somebody to pay uh, persistently late, when you then start getting tighter on your credit control, it's a re-education process. So they don't start paying you on the due date immediately. You've got to re-educate them and pull that, that time frame back. And I guess that, that's a, a question I, I've got for you. It's probably a good point to put it in now is, you know, a lot of people are scared about damaging relationships. You know, I've had it in my business too. Um, where people are, you know, you don't want to <laughs> sort of badger them for payment and you don't, you know, uh, but you, how do you manage that where you can get the payment in without damaging that, without ruining the relationship? The first thing I will say is talk to them. Don't mm-hmm. hide behind email. It's so easy to hide behind email because you think it's safe and you think it's less confrontational, but an email can be easily misinterpreted. Yeah. People put their, they imprint their own tone onto an email. So if they're in a bad mood when they open that email, they'll see it as an aggressive email rather than what you originally intended. So if you ring somebody up and talk to them, there's no mistaking the tone. Yeah. So, and by talking to them, and, and it's about asking questions and using the right language. So avoiding getting um, emotional, avoiding getting potentially aggressive, using... Avoid words that are like, I'm disappointed or it's not fair that, you know, because actually if you, when you start to say something like, it's not fair, you sound like a spoiled child. Yeah. Um, and they'll react. Um, it, there's a thing called transactional analysis where we say, it says we have three different types of voices and they'll respond as the parents then and start telling you off type yeah. of thing. Yeah. So it's, it's about the language you use um, and the the tone that you use and and say regular communication is fine um it's about asking the right sort of questions so it's not why haven't you paid me but is there a problem can is there anything you need to help with you know how can we resolve this it's not it's not about where where's my money yeah but but do remember it is your money yeah and I guess the thing is there's quite there's a time element I'd imagine for this as well because if you if you leave it to the point where you're getting wound up because it hasn't been paid, then when you have that conversation, you're gonna your emotion is gonna be um, higher than mm-hmm. if you if you have a process. And I'm sure this is something you'd advocate is having a, a process that you you don't leave it to the last minute. You're sort of on it as a matter of course, 
um, and and then you're less emotional, I'd imagine. Uh, yeah, absolutely. If you follow a process, you take you take a good chunk of the emotion out of it. And remember, if anybody responds, if, if anybody responds back to you with um, a bit of bluster or a bit of aggression, it's usually because they're embarrassed. Yeah. People cover embarrassment by by putting on a a bit of a bit, bit of bluster, a bit of uh, you know um, puffing themselves up a bit and trying to look the bigger bigger party and that sort of thing. And really, all they're all they're doing is they're they're in a situation where either they've forgotten to do something, they've they've um, reached the point where something has changed and they don't have the money they thought they were going to have in the first place. Yeah. So. Um, the key is is to have an open and honest conversation and don't be you know demanding money with menaces at the first hurdle if you've got a process that gently goes through it if you've been having that regular communication when you come to the point where you're having to say to them really sorry going to have to stop services i'm going to you know have to send this to a debt collector or anything they've had ample time to deal with it yeah. um the other thing to remember is that every conversation you have with a client is an opportunity to continue to build that relationship. Yes. Yeah. So regardless of what the conversation is about, if you do it in the right way, it's an opportunity to continue to build the relationship. So as you build that relationship, they are more likely to open up to you about anything. So if they are having cash flow problems themselves, they are more likely to open up to you if you are in regular communication with them. But if they don't hear from you for ages and then you suddenly call them out blue, mm. they're going to be a embarrassed and not really ready to talk. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's really interesting. I'm interested. I don't know if you've had much sort of international dealings. We've got an international audience for the podcast. Do you find that people's attitude to credit control differs by country have you come across that yes absolutely it does absolutely it does so um certain european countries such as germany they are a stickler for prompt payment Mm. um it's it's part and parcel of they are embarrassed if they don't do it themselves um they really are a stickler for it um, my experience of things like italy they're very laid back about everything and they're just you know yeah we'll get to it we'll get to it um, and then you go to somewhere like in India, again, it's impolite yes. to ask for money. Right. So you, you, you automatically assume everybody is good, true to their word and good to their word and um, it's a matter of honour. The US have probably stricter rules about credit management. They so Germany had the first sort of institute of credit management, and the US oh. the US was quite quite um, I think quite hot on the heels. And the the UK one is not young, but it, it's been going around thirty odd, maybe even more years now. It's got to be more than that because I've been in it thirty odd years. Oh God, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's certainly my experience over the, over the years I've been doing credit control. So. Yeah. And as you said, it is your money. You should definitely ask for it. Now, the other thing that you mentioned was uh, in terms of a trap was uh, people doing business with anyone mm-hmm. because especially when you're starting out, you're desperate for the sale. Um, what sort of checks and balances should we be doing to make sure that the person we're doing business with is is OK to do business with? So a couple of things. Um, clearly, when we first start, money is tight. So, but there are some free sources of information. So if they are a limited company, look on Companies House mm. and look to see what their last set of accounts looked like. Because um, even the smallest company, they'll file abbreviated, you know, have to file something. Bear in mind that Companies House is just a library. 
Mm. You know, it's a filing cabinet. You don't. Nobody's validating the um, the truth of what's been posted there. Oh, I see. And unless unless a, um, it's a big firm, they don't have to be audited by an independent firm of accountants to to check for yeah. uh, accuracy and that sort of thing. So, but it's a starting point, and that will also help you to see who the directors are because the, the they have a what the confirmation statement on there, which will show you who the directors of the company are. You can then go and do a bit of online stalking and have a little look at them on LinkedIn and all of those sorts of things. And you can see the sorts of um, things that they're posting, what's what's their website like, what's what um, what are the what directors talking about. If they're talking about, you know, this is very broad, but if they're talking about jet setting off on around the world on their yacht and all of that sort of thing, then they're not really invested in running that business. Uh, um, so that could be a warning flag for you. Uh, maybe the money is you know going elsewhere, or that maybe that they're not as on the ball um, or it could be that they, they don't take an active part in the business and it's down to other people to deal with it but you can look um, and see maybe if they've got any indication of who else they've worked with who yeah. their suppliers are or who their clients are and then you can talk to them and you, we all have networks we all have huge networks really if we're in business so there's bound to be somebody in your network that's done business with them interesting find out who that is and talk to them about how what the experience was like these so are free sources of information Brilliant. So it's as much, it's almost like when you go for an interview for a job, you think the company's looking at you, uh, but you also should be checking out the company. And it sounds like it's the same with, with this, you know, although you, you know, you're putting testimonials and whatnot on your business, on your business websites or speaker page for the for companies to verify you, you need to be doing your own homework on, you know, and testimonials for, for the payment side of thing to yeah. make sure you're not going to get caught out. Yeah, absolutely. And then if you've got a bit more money to spend and say it's a bigger contract, you know, worth a lot more money to use, so you're taking a bigger risk, you can look to get um, a report from a credit reference agency. They cost around about £20 for an individual report, um, but that will give you more indication about their financial standing and what their payment habits are like. Um, Again, this is limited companies, really, because um, you can get credit reports on individuals, but there's a lot more legal hoops to jump through to get one. You have to have the individual's permission mm. to do the search, um, um, whereas with a business, that's not not necessary. But that information then sort of, and it will show you, give give them a score, and that score has um, um, its basis in a huge, great algorithm, yeah. you know, which factors in loads and loads of stuff but could factor in things like what other businesses has the director been involved with before and what was their solvency like mm. um you know have they been involved with anything with that's that's failed uh, what, what ccjs have the company got if any that sort of thing um any charges over property that's sort of thing. so whether they've taken out a loan and used property or something as security that sort of thing so all of those things are factored into the score as well as the straightforward finances so that will give you an indication of their ability to pay you not necessarily their willingness but their ability no. to pay you the willing the willingness piece really is about getting to know people so yeah. that's using your networks and getting verbal testimonials from other people that's brilliant. Then one of the things I particularly wanted to touch on was um, quite often speakers or even small business owners that, that are dealing with big companies um, can have issues with payment terms. So I, I myself have had companies take months and months to pay. And I don't think there's 
you know, when, you, when you're a smaller business and cash flow is quite important, you need to be able to manage that. Can we as speakers or small business owners have any sort of leverage with larger companies to get those payment terms changed? Difficult because um, for you and I, we've got small businesses. We can pick up our phone. Mm. We can log into our banking app. We can go tap, 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 and we've paid an invoice. Yeah. We haven't had to answer to anybody else. We made the deal. We yeah. agreed the price, so we and we make the payment on that phone. So I think the bigger a business gets, the more hoops they have to go through to get to that point, um, because they have to start having all manner of checks and balances in to prevent fraud and misappropriation of funds, all of those sorts of things. So you're not dealing with a finance team; you'll be dealing with the buyer. So that could be you know the person organising the event at which you're speaking, or it could be an HR, t- you know, a learning and development team where you're going in to deliver you know to speak to a, a business or to staff any of those and they're not the people that um are actually going to pay you they're they're they're, they're one part one cog in a big machine yeah so w- once you've agreed with them everything you're going to do the other thing to remember is their primary focus is getting you or your product into their business yeah because that's what they need yeah so they don't do the negotiating terms and all of that sort of thing. So if you say to them, yeah, my terms, payment terms are seven days from date of invoice, they'll be, yeah, 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 yeah. But their, their focus is, and they're not the person that's authorised to agree to those terms and things like that. So then when it comes to issuing your invoice, you issue your invoice to them. They have to send it to accounts. Accounts then have to go back to them to get them to sign it off to say, is this what you agreed to? Is this everything that's right? Then it goes back to accounts where it goes onto a list, which goes onto a payment run, which has to be approved by, say, a director, and go and, and then eventually get transmitted to a bank or the checks get printed and signed and out the door they go. That can take quite some time. And when you've got businesses that have got volumes of payments, they're not making payments every day because that's just not a good use of somebody's time. Yeah. So they have payment run dates. Some firms will do a run every Friday. Sometimes it's you know, um, every two weeks. Sometimes it's just one run at the end of the month. That all depends on the makeup of the, of the business. So if you have issued an invoice on the first of the month, seven days from date of invoice, you know, actually the likelihood is that it's not going to get anywhere until at least the end of the month, yeah. if not the month after. So when you come to sit down with um, and, and talk to a larger business about your about contract, it's really important that you introduce the idea of terms as early on in the conversation and you make sure that, that you get an explicit agreement for your terms or that they say what their terms they're expecting and it's your choice then whether you deal with them. No large business is going to change its terms for one for, for one small business mm. and change its process for one small supplier. So really, if their ter- standard terms with every supplier is 60 days from date of invoice, you can, you can, and I would always ask the question, I would encourage everybody to always ask the question, can that be moved? Mm-hmm. Don't just assume that it can't, um, but but ask the question. But if you if you get a firm no, then it's your decision as to whether you can go ahead with that contract or not. Can you bridge that sixty day gap um, uh, with other other work that you're doing, perhaps with smaller businesses on shorter terms, um, in order to be able to accept that contract? 
Cool. I mean, one of the things that um, I always do with larger companies is is say that I want, you know, half the money on booking. Mm-hmm. So at least that process may, you know, may be quicker, or at least you get some of the money up front and then, and then bill on, on, on after this, this, the event. And, and so terms and conditions are massively important, it sounds like, for businesses. Have you got any tips for making sure your terms and conditions are, you know, going to serve you well in your business? particularly for speakers, I guess. Yes. Um, so the first thing would be to have them in writing. And it, the best thing to do is to have a, a, a standard document and then you'll have a proposal that you can attach to it, which gives you more details to the specific to that particular speaking gig. Yeah. Um, so, But your general terms and conditions will include all the things like what payments you you expect, um, Are you, you know, any, could include any riders that you might have in there. Even if that's just you'll pay my transport to and from and you'll put me up in a hotel, yeah. it's up to you to book and pay for the hotel. I'm not paying for it and then getting reimbursed. You, you, you know, there's different ways of doing things. Yeah. Cancellation process. So what happens if they cancel? Because at the end of the day, you've, you've booked out that day, that time for them. Um, as you, like you said, I would always encourage you to take a booking fee. Mm. And it's a booking fee, not a deposit. Mm. And the difference is a deposit is a payment for some future consideration. A booking fee, the consideration for that fee is you reserving that date for them. It's easier to say that it's not refundable because you've given them the consideration for it already. Right. Whereas a deposit, you haven't. So That's use a the, really good tip. Use the, term, use the term booking fee, and that basically that reserves that date for them. Um, and go for as big a booking fee as you possibly can get from them basically because you you'll have upfront costs even if that you know particularly if they're going to then expect you to book your own hotel arrange your own transport if that's train fare or plane you know airfare or whatever it is and make sure that the consequences of of late payment are included in there so are you going to charge interest um because we all have a statutory right to charge interest on commercial debts um and you can you know you can charge um, fees for debt collection process. You can pass some of that on and things like that as well. So it's very uh, terms and conditions are really important in setting out expectations. Yeah. Some people see them as something a bit onerous, and they might put clients off. But actually, they make you look very professional, and it yeah. it means that you are very clear to your client about what they can expect from you, and they in turn, you know, know exactly what's expected of them. Yeah. And again, if, if, if you're working with a big business and they're expecting you to sign up to their terms, you need to go through them very, very carefully and make sure there's nothing in there that you feel uncomfortable with. Um, and if, if you find that that's a bit you know, of a challenge in terms of you don't really understand what it's trying to say or what it's trying to um, protect against, get somebody in to have a look. Yeah. yeah, get somebody to just review them for you. Make sure you're not signing your life away, um, and that sort of thing. So, because um, it's very easy sometimes for some firms to make sure that their terms and conditions are quite one-sided. Yes, and there's a lot more protection for terms when it's with consumers than it was business to business. So, not so much protection when it's business to business. Basically, you can you agree to stuff, and it's your lookout. 
So it's if not, they if they if they gave you their terms and conditions and they said we don't pay cancellation fees, but you wanted to, how would that situation work? Would you get so, that amended or? Well, so yeah, so you'd have a discussion with them and say, no, look, you know, I can't work with you unless you agree to this uh, this mm-hmm. amendment to your terms. So you negotiate. So then it would be you would need to be prepared to walk away. Yes. If they if they don't comply. Yeah. Cool. Excellent. Gosh, there's some there's some gold in there. Thank you for all <laughs> of that. That's brilliant. Um, good. Now you're also a speaker, aren't you, Nikki? And yes. I, I wanted to ask you what part speaking's played in your business and how it's grown. Um, speaking for me is it's an opportunity for me to reach a, a wider audience because there's a lot of people that don't know that help is out there, mm. uh, that this specific type of help is out there for them. It's an increase my network. Um, it's also validated my credentials as an expert. So um, where I've spoken at certain um, certain networking events and things like that, I've then I've received feedback on that. And people have then gone on to refer me on to other people to say, well, I've heard this person speak about this and she sounds very knowledgeable. Maybe you need to speak to her Um, and that sort of thing. And I've had direct clients from it as well. So where I've presented at an event and then people have come up to me afterwards. Um, So it's been been very good for me. And and it helps me as well to practice the message because I'm a technician first and foremost um, and I can sometimes talking a bit of techno speak yeah so actually speaking and preparing things for speaking has made me more mindful of the language that I have to use because you know most business owners don't have a background in credit management so they don't they don't know the language you know they got into doing whatever it is they were doing because it's something that they were particularly good at whether that's marketing whether that's um, um, making silver jewellery, whether that's giving swimming lessons, whatever it is, yeah. anything that they're doing, that's what they were good at. So all the other stuff, and you'll know this from the marketing side of things as well, you'll know this, all the other stuff is stuff that they know they've got to do, yeah. but they're really not quite sure about it, and some of the language around it they don't really get. So it is, it really has helped me to to look at the language I'm using. And and the whole this whole idea of speaking to the problem, not not the you know the um, sort of the benefits that sort of thing. Yeah. Talking about addressing a problem and thing yeah. that, and getting the feedback from people about what their problems really are. Yeah. As well. So yeah. Smashing. And I also get a bit of a buzz from it. I enjoy it. <laughs> I guess for me, speaking is marketing. You know, it's the way that you can get your message out there, like you said, and and grow your business, and and it gives you a chance to speak to a lot of people rather than just one to one. Oh, that's that's really cool. Okay, smashing. Thank you for for sharing that. Now I have uh, some standard questions for you before I let you go. Okay. And then I want to uh, talk about how people can get uh, hold of you and, and get some help from you. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess this is, we might have already covered this, but what is the best thing that speaking has done for you? If you had to say one thing. Confidence. Okay, cool. Excellent. Mm -hmm. And have you had a worst gig and what happened? Yes. (laughs) I turned up somewhere and there were six people in the room. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that's quite soul destroying because three of them were part of the organisation team. Um, 
I did, I did, I, I still delivered it, but in a much more intimate surroundings and everything like that. But it, it, it was a little bit soul destroying, and I travelled quite a long way to get there. And it was a free speaking thing I was doing as well. So, mm. but yeah, you persevere. Yeah, and you never know where the next one's coming from. I was going to say, and you don't know who those people told about you where, yeah. where after that after that gig. Okay, cool. <laughs> We've all had those. Don't worry. I've had a whole hour of Edinburgh pre-show to one person, and I don't know who felt more awkward, me, me or them. To be honest, <laughs> stand-up comedy for an hour to one person. Anyway, yeah. there we go. Um, Okay, so next question. What's the one book that you've read that's had most impact on your life and why? On my life? Um, yeah, life, business, how, you know, most impact on you and why? Um, I'm going to say The Hobbit. Okay. Okay, so it's going to be a bit odd. So um, just because I read it as a quite a small child, it wasn't standard reading material for children of my age when I read it. Um, and this whole idea of going off on an adventure and seeing lots of things and doing lots of different things and st- stepping right outside of your comfort zone became quite a um, quite quite something I wanted to do. I wanted to be the Hobbit and I wanted to go <laughs> off on adventures and do things. So actually, it's always made me quite willing to try new things. I think that 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 whole um, attitude of Bilbo. And saying, yeah, I'm just going to do this. And he's also a bit of a, you know, he's a reluctant hero, isn't he? Yeah. So, um, and and I reread that book every year. Oh, I do. Yeah, I do. I reread it every year. Um, and it's one of those that just gives me that warm, fuzzy feeling and sets me feeling all adventurous again and off to want to try something new. Oh, I love that story. That's a great story, Nikki. She's that in your speaking. I love it. And um, uh, and what was I going to say? There was something. Oh, yeah. So do you think that's also influenced? Because you have been involved in the past in the old live action. Live action role play. play. Yeah, yeah. Is, is there a correlation uh, between those two? Oh, of course there is. Absolutely there is. And I've played Dungeons and Dragons tabletop game as well. I've done all of that. Yeah, no, definitely. It's all part and parcel of that wanting adventure. Yeah, oh, I love that. <laughs> Look at that. So you wouldn't associate someone doing credit control with adventure, but you, you know, that you're shaking things up all over the place. Nikki. That's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Uh, next question: What's the best bit of business advice you've had, and why? Um, done is better than perfect. Oh yeah, love that one. I'm I'm a terrible perfectionist at, at you know, trying to get everything finished and. And everything like that. Um, and I, I've learned certainly since having my own business that that actually just getting something out there and getting it, get, you know, because you can perfect it later. But without doing that, you end up sort of standing still yeah. um, and not actually achieving anything. No, it's, and, it's, it's, that's, that's, and the Hobbit wouldn't do that. No, <laughs> no, no, he'd t- take his chances. Exactly. <laughs> cool. Last question then. If you could have one mentor they can be alive or dead fictional or non-fictional oh. who would you choose and why oh gosh that's a really difficult question and I'm going to answer this this is a very personal one for me so my dad died three weeks before I started my business oh. so I would have I would love to have my dad with me to help guide me through the business I'm sure he had he had his own business for years, um, and I would have so loved for him to be in a situation where he could have, you know, he could have guided me, and I could have gone to him for advice or just have a good old whinge. 
that would have been marvellous. Oh, really? You got me all emotional now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he is watching. Uh, I'm sure. Well, I have a picture of him at, at, at the top of my screen on my on my computer, and so he's looking over me all the time. That's lovely, Nikki. I'm sure he's very, very proud of everything that you've achieved. <laughs> so, listen, I thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all of that wonderful um, stuff around, you know, terms and conditions and credit and cash flow, which is why so many businesses fail. It's so important. And if people want to find out more about you, um, to book you for speaking or to get some help with credit management, where's the best place for them to go? Uh, so if you go to my website, which is confidentcashflow.com, mm-hmm. um, there's an option to book a 30-minute call with me so that we can then talk through whatever it is you need to talk about. Brilliant. And are you on social media? I, I am. So there is. Um, so personally, I'm on Facebook and uh, LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a business page on Facebook. There's also a, a group, fairly newly formed group, called Confident Cashflow Getting Paid Matters which is a a forum to discuss all things cash flow and late payment. Safe place to have a good old whinge or get some advice. And that's on LinkedIn, that one, is it? That one's on Facebook. On Facebook. Okay, cool. And what is your handle on um, Facebook or are you on Twitter as well, did you say? I am. So it should be Confident Cashflow (laughs) on Twitter. Um, It'll be Confident Cashflow on Facebook and on LinkedIn, it's, it's just at Nikki Kinton, so for my personal one. There is a business page on LinkedIn as well, but it's not very active at the moment. Okay, no worries. Well, people can go and find you there and, and uh, get some, uh, check you out, get some help and advice. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Really appreciate your time and all of the, the wonderful things that you've shared today, Nikki. Thank you. It's been good fun. Thank you. Credit management is such a fundamental part of securing business sustainability but it's something that we put behind everything else. I hope that you found Nikki's tips helpful. And if you did, I'd love it if you could go say hi to her on social media and let her know. And maybe, you know, if you need help at the moment, book a call and she can help you manage cash flow in your business or make sure that it's protected for the future. As ever, I am so appreciative that you chose the speaking club to listen to. And if you enjoy the show, I would love it if you could please just take a couple of moments to leave a rating or review on Apple Podcast or wherever you're listening. Have a fantastic week. Please keep safe. Stay at home. And if you want to get some light relief, go and grab your night by the nuts and check out couchcomedylive.com. Bye-bye. You don't need to waste more time searching for an answer when the most powerful tools to becoming a great speaker and growing your business are already in your possession, your stories. The trouble is that many people believe that either they haven't got a story to tell or that you need to be a natural-born storyteller to use them successfully. But neither of these things are true. Everyone has stories, and I want to help you discover yours and share them more powerfully with my new freebie, My Story Wizard. In three steps, it's going to guide you to find your stories, power them up with humor and other tricks, and share them in a way that connects with your audience and sells your thing. If that sounds good to you, then head over to mystorywizard.com and go and grab yours right now.